That's in the Bible, episode number 77. Whose fool are you? Troublesome times are here, filling men's hearts with fear. Freedoms we all hold dear, now is at stake. Humbling your hearts to God, saved from the chastening rod. Seek the way pilgrims trod, Christians away. Jesus is coming. Hello and welcome to That's in the Bible. So glad that you can join us today. My name is Pastor Steve. And again, I'm trying to do my best imitation of Eric today. The reason for that is Eric is doing the study today, podcast number 77, Whose Fool Are You? Eric and I are joined by the usual cast of characters, Pastor Strobel and the, the boy wonder, Matt. And uh, glad that you could all be with us today. Uh, Matt was not supposed to be with us today. Uh, he had some uh, unfortunate circumstances take place today. So, Matt, why don't you go ahead and tell us what that what happens? Yeah, well, uh, the other guys called me up and said they wanted me to make sure that uh, I kept an eye on you. So uh, that's why I'm here. Because <laughs> <laughs> you always uh, you always get me when I'm not on on the podcast. So I got to be on. No, but it's uh, it's good to be here. Yeah, I was supposed to fly out. My wife and I and son we were supposed to fly out of the village of Point Hope today and. Uh, we're having some storms, been having storms for about a week now, on and off, and so all the bush pilot plane companies have canceled, and so we're stuck. So you're stuck with me. Well, we could do worse. <laughs> <laughs> See, you're well behaved when I'm on. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to behave myself. That's not a guarantee for the rest of the podcast, but uh, we'll do our best. Eric, t- uh, you know... <laughs> I want you to tell me if retirement is everything it's uh, I've heard it to be. Everything and more, Steve. This is the job. This is the job I always wanted. Uh, being paid, <laughs> being paid to stay home. I mean, that's it's the job I was looking for when I was nineteen. Yeah. And now that I'm in my sixties, I'll be able to do the same. Yeah, it's uh, it's good, and you know, just like everybody else says, uh, I wonder how I managed to do anything at all when I was working, you know, for a full-time, you know, job because, um, there's no time. There's no time left. Uh, even now it seems like, Whoa, the day's almost over. Just goes quick. Amen. Amen. So what's going on? Are you doing anything, uh, uh, anything special or anything like that? Uh, let's see. You know, I'm, uh, just reading through the Bible, trying to keep faithful and keep, keep do right and go to church and, and do the things I know I'm supposed to be doing. And, uh, Amen. Lord willing, you know, God's good. Amen. And, uh, it's been great. I mean, with my wife, Kathy, who's, uh, come on like gangbusters here lately, reading the Bible and asking me questions and, she stumps me every now and then, and I call Matt and <laughs> say, "Man, what about this?" And we, put, we put Matt on the spot, and then I don't know who he calls when he can't figure it out. <clears throat> My phone is silent, so obviously he's not calling me. No, every now and then, every now and then, you know, we we snag you too. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. So it's yeah, I mean. it's good. It's uh, it's amazing how much is in the Bible, which is partly the reason that we have this podcast of all the things that are that are to be found. And, and you know, even I don't know how, how many times you read it through, you're like, whoa, where'd that come from? I don't remember seeing that before. <laughs> yeah, it's great stuff. Amen. 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 
Pastor Strobel, I was with you here uh, last week and uh, had a good time uh, ministering together. So what's uh, what's going on with you? Amen. Yes, we're uh, well. A couple times recently, we were together. Um, the uh, Bible study we do at the prison. Um, that was what just about a week ago. Right. We had a good study in there with the guys. Uh, then uh, prior to that, last podcast, we had asked you to pray just for a uh, men's prayer breakfast. And Brother Steve and I attended, and I had the opportunity to speak there. And I do appreciate any of you that prayed for me. Uh, the Lord blessed and had good good time delivering a message. I brought him a message on uh, Christian manhood, actually. Amen. Amen. I can vouch that it was very good, challenging, and uh, it hit its mark. So that was uh, that was good study, good uh, good preaching. Stuff Man, like that. is that something you might be able to bring to the podcast one day? Uh, possibly, I'd have to just look and and uh, look at it and see, um, and pray and just mm-hmm. uh, see if it's something I should bring and if I should bring it in the same form or tailor it to uh, to you know to the occasion. So, right, yeah. certainly open. Amen. Amen. It was in the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> Uh, Matt, you were talking about uh, uh, something that you were thinking about uh, as far as recommendations, stuff like that. Why don't you maybe explain that, and then we can go around the horn and and uh, put our input in on that. Yeah, you know, I always have, I don't know, I just, uh, I'm one of those guys maybe that has an issue or problem. <laughs> I love uh, collecting Bibles, and uh, <laughs> maybe somebody else on the podcast can uh, relate, like, uh Maybe if you're listening, you can think about, uh, well, maybe I own five, six, ten Bibles, you know, and and uh, I just love, uh, I've, I've stopped the last few years, I've stopped collecting Bibles just because, uh, well, one is my wife, <laughs> my wife says I have too many Bibles, which is probably true, <laughs> it's probably true. Well, you should, but, uh, you, should but, least, yeah, was, you should at least have two, right? You have two eyes, so you should at least have two Bibles. <laughs> there you go, yeah. And then you got two hands, you need to have two more. And, <laughs> so there's you know, four. <laughs> and you have one mouth but, uh, to read with five. Yeah, yeah. And you might have friends come over. You got to have extra for them. That's true. Who knows yeah. when someone you know might need a Bible? That's right. All right. Well, let's talk. I'll talk to my wife about that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I was thinking. You know, as I as I um, go to church, and even if I visit any other churches, a lot of times I've uh, I kind of just peek around, glance around, and see what every you know person is uh, carrying around underneath their arms, you know, what, what Bibles are carrying. And I don't mean what versions, although I do that in some churches, <laughs> so I see what versions are, they're, they're uh, carrying. But what I mean is, uh, you know, I've always been interested in what study Bibles people use. If somebody's using a wide margin or just a regular, you know, regular uh, standard print um, and, and those kinds of things. So I, I don't know, I've always kind of been interested in what people use, pastors use, you know, and so I thought that might be a good idea, maybe just to kind of go around and see what everybody uses, maybe for reading and if you use something different for studying and things like that. Sounds good. Well, I guess I could chime in uh, first. <clears throat> Basically, I use uh, a Bible for uh, preaching and teaching, the same Bible I use for, for preaching and teaching, and, and thus I use that for my studying as well. And then I use a different Bible for reading. And um, I didn't always do that, but what's ha- what happened um, to me is with my study Bible, 
You know, I mark things up, I highlight things, I write in cross-references and so forth. And as I used that, when, when I was using that for uh, reading, uh, what would happen is, you know, I would be coming up on something. You, know, you could see the highlight uh, there, and, and, and I would begin to anticipate what I was going to read. Now, while that may not be necessarily a bad thing, the problem was while I was anticipating what was coming up, that verse that I knew was there, I wasn't paying close enough attention to the one I was reading at the time. <laughs> so what I did personally, and, and everybody's different, but this works for me, is um, I got me just a, a reading Bible that has <clears throat> no notes in it. Um, it's a Cambridge Bible. It has a really nice sized print, even though it's only about like um, nine inches by oh six inches or so. Actually, I'm going to measure it right now. Uh, about, nine, about nine by six and a half inches. But the print size is very readable. Um, you know, it has the paragraph markings in, which is something that I that I like uh, to have uh, in the scriptures, and it has the postscripts in as well in Paul's epistles. Um, the titles are are nice and full, but no additional notes. So so that way, for me personally, I'm getting a fresh look at it um, as I read it, and I'm not distracted by notes. I'm not distracted by my own notes or my own. Uh, highlights. So I like that for, for reading and it works out real well for me. My, my study Bible is just, I've, I've, my first Bible I was given after I got saved. My first complete Bible was an old school field reference Bible. So that became my go-to Bible. I actually still have that, although it's not in really usable form. It stays on my desk where I can still make some references in it, but a lot of it is just kind of gotten to the place where I can't even Read my own old references of the page edges of the pages deteriorating and so forth, but I, I do use um, what I was able to acquire some years ago is a large print old Schofield, and it gives me a lot of room on the margins for making notes. It's not a wide margin, but it also um, has the red letter for the New Testament. I don't like the red letter for my reading. I do like it for when I'm studying and preaching because it just gives me something that uh, allows me to um, find something quick in a moment when I have to glance. So if I know I'm looking for something that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ was speaking, it just it's easier to grab it, um, you know, look down and find it. <laughs> so I found that to, be, to work well. The large print makes it easier to read as well from the pulpit. And um, since I'm so familiar with it, having that being my first Bible that I, I would read through and, and study and everything. Uh, it's just easier to find things on the page uh, in a pinch. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. Anybody else? Now I have to ask you, Pastor Strobel, the, uh, the, the Bible that you read from, that's a, it's a smaller Bible itself, but the print is relatively large. It is. It's a, it's, it's a good font. Um, years ago, and I, I have actually probably this, because I think the guy that had it gave it to me, but uh, I had, there was an old Cambridge Bible that I had that when you looked at it, everything just looked like it was blurred together. Mm -hmm. uh, this is crisp. I don't know the actual size of the font because I don't think it tells me just in the Bible itself. But I would say it's a, my guess would be around a, at least a 10 point, maybe maybe 12, I don't know. That sounds like the Cambridge <sighs> large print. And it's uh -uh. usually it's usually bound in Morocco French leather. Yeah, that's probably it. It it is definitely right there. Here's my cover: French Morocco leather. Yeah. So, that's, so that's the Cambridge large print. I I have that too um, for particularly reading, and uh, I love that it's kind of got the old type style look to it too, which I like mm -hmm. a lot. 
And there's no Amen. notes, no footnotes, no references. No, it's just, it's good. Well, when I first started doing this, I mean, I really had to, and occasionally still do, but I have to had to restrain myself from highlighting or underlining because I find myself grabbing wanting to do it. So mm-hmm. generally what I'll do is I'll, you know, I'll, I'll make notes on a separate piece of paper, or if I have my study Bible there, you know, I, I make the highlights or the notes in, in there. I, I should add, too, that I have other um, study Bibles that I use for reference um, as well. You know, I've got, mm-hmm. uh, I enjoyed, you know, Dr. Ruckman's reference Bible, which he came out with, you know, a few years back. Um, so those, those, there's a lot of other resources that are handy, too. And I know yeah. he's coming out with a wide uh-huh. margin on Dr. Ruckman's. Yeah, it's out already. Oh, is it? Yep. And and by the way, for those of you that don't want to spend a lot of money on a study Bible, but you like it because it's it can be pricey, they did also make and and I, I think it's still available a vinyl cover, which was only like uh, twenty bucks with his notes in it. Nice. Yeah. He's got a hard 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 cover too, which I think is maybe ten or twenty dollars more. Amen. Good. Which is nice. Now I have to ask you. I know we're talking about different Bibles and how you may read from one and study from another. But I've heard people say, and I know for me it's true, when I first started, I only had the the one Bible, and I, it was uh, called Bearing Precious Seed. Remember those Bibles, Steve, that we got yes, at the church? I, I, in fact, I was going to mention that here in just a f- few moments, but go ahead. So that was my first Bible, and I put all my notes in there, and it's today it's still the one I have to go back to. Some, well, wait a minute, I got that, and I haven't moved it <coughs> to any other new Bibles, but... The thing about using just one Bible is I can picture it in my mind. Well, let's see, that's on the right-hand side of the right. page. and you know. Right. So when I start using other Bibles, like, I don't know if anybody else has experienced that, but I get a, sometimes I get a little, I can't find it in this one. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. So that's a problem. So, um, and I don't know if you were done, Pastor Strobel. I didn't mean to jump in. Yeah, no, I, I think I've used sufficient time. <laughs> so, so it's, it's somebody else talk. I use the, so I use what you use. I also use the, um, it's called the Cambridge Turquoise, which is very similar to the um, Cambridge Large Print. Um, But I use it bound, it's bound in um, lambskin, and it's from uh, Church Bible Publishers. And it's the turquoise. It's not because of the color, it's just the, I think it's the font size and the layout. Um, But it's very similar to the Large Print, only it does have, just a few references, which are just kind of nice to have. So I like that. I also use the, um, the, there's a Bible company called Skylar. They have a edition out called the Skylar Canterbury, which has these big in, um, engraved drop caps for the beginning of each, um, uh, chapter. And it's just a beautiful Bible and it's got, um, notes. The, the references are at the bottom of the page instead of like in a center column or side column margin. So I enjoy that Bible, and I also have the um, Dr. Ruckman's Bible, and I also have the Hoffman Common Man's Reference Bible. And I think I have the second and third edition of those. I didn't do the, I didn't do the fourth because he goes off into uh, flat earth. So... So those are those are what four of the Bibles that I use. I won't list the other ten that I also have. <laughs> I thought we were up to we're figuring out where Matt got his Bible. Key. Yeah. <laughs> it runs in the family. <laughs> and I got to think, you know, we could have worse uh, worse yeah. vices than hello. Yeah, that's Bibles. right. 
I'm all for it. <clears throat> yeah, amen. Listen, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, too, I love the smell of uh, new Bibles. <laughs> if nobody else will admit it, I like opening up a new Bible and just smelling it, especially the leather and everything. It smells good. <laughs> That's funny. I was saying that in a, in a message I was preaching or when I was teaching <laughs> recently at a church, and I told them it smells better than a new car. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> That's true. Get a new Bible smell. So one of those uh, sprays, you know, <laughs> new Bible smell spray. <laughs> well, before Brother Steve comments, I, I would just like to add this. I, my study Bible that I told you, that old Schofield, large print, it's good size, and it's got the red letter. I have been looking to try to replace it because it's fallen apart. But I can't find a large print old Schofield that uses the old Type. I mean, they've got the old Schofields are selling now. The newer ones are just, it's laid out differently. It doesn't look good. I don't like it personally. And then there are people that reprint it, but the ones that I found, like local church or church Bible publishers, I haven't found a red letter edition, which again, right. I don't like for reading, but I do like for studying. So if right. anybody does come across something like that, I would love you to send us an email. Let me know where I might be able to, to locate one. Well, church Bible publishers do, they do come out with a red letter uh, bound in either, I think, cowhide or lambskin or goatskin. It, I, I think I think it's the smaller version, though, not the large print, which oh. I need uh, the, the bigger size Bible with the large print. And that's, But if you find that, that, that they do, and maybe they do change their yep. quote-unquote skews from time to time, I'd love to yeah, be it's informed. Not, it's not really that large of a print. I do have a uh, wide margin large print. Yeah, that old school feel. The thing's massive. Yeah, the wide margin that doesn't work for me though. So, yeah. hey Matt, if you, you remember the the World Bible that I showed you, right? Oh yeah, that uh, it's it's got regular font. It's like a regular page, but it's got like two and a half inch uh, margins all the way around it. Thing is probably oh better than a foot long, a foot wide, and probably fourteen inches uh, tall. And uh, it's pretty thick. A buddy of mine has one of those. Steve Weesey has one of those. And he, he carries around with him all the time. That's the Bible he uses. And looks like he's bringing the broadsword in whenever he goes to, goes to church and stuff like that. Well, Matt, let me, uh, why don't you go ahead and uh, do what you're going to do as far as the, the Bibles that you use. You kind of introduced it, and then I'll finish it up, and then we'll see if sure. uh, anybody else has anything else. And then we'll, we'll go to the, the, the study for today. Yeah, well, my thing was I, I used to uh, study from and, and all that from a uh, large print Cambridge, just like uh, Pastor Strobel, I think, uses and, and my dad uses. And um, unfortunately, I left it on the top of uh, my vehicle, taking some teenagers home from uh, <laughs> youth group on a Friday night. This is about, uh, oh, I think five or six years ago. And the next morning, some people knocked on my door uh, from the church and said, your Bible is strewn all over the highway. <laughs> and uh, so, so unfortunately, I mean, that, if anybody's had that issue where you either lose a Bible or it gets <laughs> destroyed, you feel like you just lost a dog. <laughs> you know, you just, you feel terrible. And uh, it had all my notes. And there's not much room in it to put notes, but all my highlights, my notes, it's what I would preach from, teach from, you know, and, and read and study. And so anyway, um, I got so upset with that that I, I switched now and uh, I use uh, I, I use a common man's reference Bible. Uh, Pastor Hoffman 
Uh, it's the second edition. And I know some people have some issues with it. I understand. And, and he does go off on a flat earth, not in the second edition, but like my dad said, in the fourth editions, I believe it is, and his hardback. So just so you know. But um, I really, the reason why I really like the Common Man's Reference Bible is because, number one, it's wide margin. And the other reason why is because uh, all his center column reference notes are really good, and he's got a lot. And that's one thing I love Dr. Ruckman's um, reference Bible. One thing that I wish he would have put more in is the center column references. And I think he probably thought, you know, we would be using Schofield reference Bibles as well. But to have it in one compact Bible, I think it's really nice to have um, all those notes in the, in the center column references. So great Bible. Uh, that's what I've been using probably the last, uh, I would say, I don't know, four or five years. And so I'm just try- I'm just trying to get in a lot of my notes and things like that. So so if anybody's looking for a good study Bible, I would say either Common Man's Reference Bible, Dr. Ruckman's uh, or Schofield are all really good. Amen. Well, uh, when I got saved uh, back in 1976, uh, I had called home to see because somebody had given me a Bible, a leather bound Bible. And uh, uh, unbeknownst to me, I didn't have any idea what the uh, Bible issue was, and it happened to be an ASV. And thankfully, my folks couldn't uh, find it. Uh, And so I, the first, uh, I guess, person that I really heard other than the preacher of the church was Lester Roloff. Lester Roloff had some promotional Bibles, I guess, for for fundraising and so forth, and uh, looking back on it, I felt so sorry for the girls because he was saying it was a free Bible, basically for a donation type of a thing. And so uh, the girls were standing back in the back uh, as you left the building, and I'm walking out with my friend Steve, and and I said, "So these Bibles are free, right?" And they said, uh, "Yeah." I said, "Well, uh, let me have one, and I'll send I'll send uh, a donation later," because I didn't have anything. I didn't have any money. I was just a poor sailor at that time. So I took the Bible, and the girls were looking like, well, we just lost the Bible there. Hmm. But uh, that's the Bible I had first, and it wasn't anything special. It was large print, and uh, my handprints and my thumbprint are in that Bible, and I have it still to this day because I carried it with me everywhere. It went If I got off, went off the ship, it went with me. Uh about the time I was ready to head for Bible school, I knew I was going to need another Bible because it was actually the Bible from Roloff was actually falling apart. And so I uh, bought, I guess you could say, the standard size Schofield Bible, and which really had no margins or anything like that, Un- not really knowing what I was going to get into when I went to Bible school. I think I'd been saved for nine months. And uh, then all of a sudden was sitting in classes with Dr. Ruckman and, and uh, you know, just trying to write notes down and everything. And it was crammed and, and all kinds of stuff. And I used that Bible for a long time. I still have it, it, but it's fallen apart several times. Matt, just so that you know, my, that Bible fell off the back end of a motorcycle and uh, got wow. strewn around the road and so forth. And was able to keep it somewhat intact and so forth, although there's a lot of papyrus fragments with it now. But uh, that's about the time that uh, Eric was talking about that uh, uh, from First Baptist Church, the first word publishers that picked up that Bible. And it was a wide margin, and um, the paper wasn't as good on that. It wasn't like the Schofield paper. 
and uh, so it would uh, uh, tatter and uh, you know it you know it's more like notebook paper than it was what I was accustomed to as far as Bible paper was concerned. Uh, used that for many 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 years, and then finally came across uh, that uh, uh, was it Word Publishers or, or Church Publishers I think it is, and I picked up that wide margin large print Schofield Bible that uh, Pastor Strobel was talking about. And it's not the red letter edition, but, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think I had the red letter edition when I had the Schofield Bible beforehand. But uh, uh, the layout is what I was accustomed to, and of course, getting used to it again. But, you know, if anybody's seen a Schofield Bible, you know, there's headings all over the place. And it's, it's really strange to me that I don't even notice the headings. I just go from the text to the text to the text. And uh, the headings over the different sections that he uh, tries to highlight, uh, I don't even I don't even see them. So uh, been using that for oh probably a good eight ten years, and uh, trying to put notes back in it and going back over uh, those things. So uh, that format of of Schofield's always been something that I've been comfortable with and. And that's the one that I use. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have a, a reading Bible and a study Bible, so it might be a good idea because the the problem that Pastor Strobel was talking about, as far as uh, getting distracted and uh, uh, not only seeing things, but but uh, starting to follow uh, references that I have already put in there and so forth, and and get lost in a study or a restudy, if you will. Uh, and instead of reading the Bible and just trying to, uh, you know, focus on uh, what I'm supposed to get there for that time, so uh, it might be a good idea to try to do something along that line and get another Bible that would allow me just to to be able to read. So uh, it's good good thought, Matt. I uh, appreciate the the opportunity to kind of let people know what we use and might be an encouragement to them. There's a lot of Bibles out there and a lot of people that may have different. Uh, you know, preferences and what they're looking for in a Bible. Uh, you know, the, I think with any Bible, you're going to find things that you disagree with, uh, but uh, don't let yeah. that discourage you. I mean, you know, there's some people like Thompson's, although that's kind of an older version that people, I, I don't see too many Thompson's around anymore. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, you know, they were they were still a very popular a study Bible when uh, when uh, I first got saved, and uh, I know the fellow that discipled me used a Thompson's and often used a lot of the notes or or study guides that were there in there to to uh, help him prepare for lessons and and uh, sermons and things like that. So good, Amen. Good thought, Amen. A couple of things we should add real quick is that when we're talking about the Schofield Bible, we're talking about the old Schofield Reference right. Bible, which is a King James Bible. The new Schofield reference Bible is not King James, although it says it's King James. That's that's to be that's something we could elaborate another time. But also yeah. in the old Schofield, and especially if you're just starting and you're getting one, uh, you do want to beware of some of the notes. Uh, while he gives you a lot of good doctrine in there, there are some places in the notes, sometimes center column reference, sometimes down below, where they will. Uh, basically attack the King James, uh, like telling you the last 12 verses of Mark shouldn't be there, or, you know, this word is wrong and it ought to be something else. And I 
in those places, a lot of them, when I have come across them, I've just put in my own notes. Like I write over the top of it, I write the word wrong. <laughs> and then when I came to the next one or come to the next one, I write uh, wrong again. <laughs> and so I, I've been able to, with that, you know, eat the meat and throw away the bones because there right. is, he does have good sound doctrine. He's got the good prophetic layout of the, um, you know, pre-tribulation, pre-millennial right. uh, position. So, and, uh, By the way, Eric, uh, was there something that you needed to say about the promotional Bible that uh, we had offered, was it last uh, last podcast? That's right, yes. there, there is. So we said we would take the 10 caller. Well, I you know, I realize the way this podcast works, uh, not everybody's listening to it at the same time. So if people listen to it a week later or, you know, whatever it might be, they think, oh, well, everybody's probably already called in, and so that Bible's not available. I can tell you we did not reach the 10th caller. So I would suggest uh, pick up the phone and dial 716-584-1611. Again, that's 716-584-1611. If you call that number, and, and you know, I'd, I'd, you, you want to be safe and sure, call 10 times and, and hang up and leave a message. But be sure when you do leave a message, leave some way for us to get that Bible to you so we can at least contact you and say, where do you want us to send the Bible? Because we, we the, the few of the callers that did call, they didn't leave a way for me to contact them. So the Bible's still available. You will need to call that number, 716-584-1611. Leave something that I can get a hold of you, um, either an address you want the Bible sent to or an email that I can respond back to you so that you know you're the winner, and then you could give me your address. Um but that's, it's a nice um, Trinitarian Bible Society. It looks very much like the Cambridge large print that we were talking about. Um, so that's available for you. It's, um, there's no notes in it. It's a great reading Bible. Steve, you might want to try calling it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll use, a, use a, a fake name here. <laughs> no, it's not available. Obviously, it's not available to any of us. So. No, I know. I know. So, but that's available. So please give us a call. Amen. All right, anybody else have anything to say? Um, I take by the I'm silence. Good. You good, Eric? I think we're good. Okay. All right, Eric, take it away. Okay, thanks, guys. Well, let's open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for uh, all you've given me, all you've done for us here, and, and I just pray that today that I would be able to speak clearly and, and say the words that you would want me to say, Lord. And again, thank you for the opportunity, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, first of all, let me start off by saying that some of the things I'm going to say on this podcast, that if you're listening for the first time, you may think to yourselves, wow, who are they to say those things? And I can tell you right now, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. That um, many of the things that um, I did as a lost person, I'm not proud of. And even many of the things that I've done as a Christian th that were wrong, I'm not proud of. So I'm no better uh, than anyone else that's listening, saved or lost. But I am saved. And it's only through the grace of God, the grace of the Lord, that that's possible, nothing, no good in me other than recognizing that uh, I was a lost sinner and needed Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, 
we're going to take a look today at whose fool are you? You know, as we look at the word fool in the Bible, we see that it's used in mainly two ways. One way in how the world sees a fool, and the other way in how God sees a fool. Now, when I say the world, I mean the world system on the earth in general. You know, the non-Bible-believing people or mindset, the worldview. Either way, there's no getting around it. You're going to be either a fool in God's eyes, or you're going to be a fool in the world's eyes. Which you choose to be will affect, well, basically affects everything that you do. So, so how is that so? Well, think about it. What stops us from witnessing? It's the thought, well, what will other people think? If I hand this person a tract, are they going to think that I'm a fanatic, a fool, a Bible weirdo, right? Isn't that the main reason that we don't speak up for Jesus Christ? Because we, we don't want to be thought of as a fanatic or a fool. So instead, we pretend to be ignorant of what we know, lest we be numbered as a fool for Christ. We figure, eh, we can just melt into the crowd and not speak up for Christ, lest we be thought a fool. But that's not possible. You're either going to be thought a fool for Christ, or you're going to, be, to pretend to be part of the fools that are in the world. So let me explain. Listen along and see if what I'm saying is not true. First of all, let's define what is a fool. Well, Webster's 1828 Dictionary has a definition of a fool, and it's number one, who someone who is destitute of reason or the common powers of understanding. And it also says, one who does not exercise his reason. So in this study today, we're going to exercise our reason together, and we're going to look to see the instances where someone is identified as a fool in the Bible. After all, the Bible says in the book of Isaiah, chapter 1, verse 18, Come now, and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So let's see what God has to say about the fool. I certainly don't want to be in the category or possess the qualities of traits that God identifies as those belonging to a fool. Do you? So once those traits are identified and knowing what they are, you can take steps to make sure you are not accounted for as a fool in God's eyes. And then we're going to look to see what the world counts as a fool. To begin our study today, let's start in the beginning with the Bible and what the Bible says about this topic, the fool, from the biblical perspective. We're going to look at a number of verses today, so if, if you feel like, yeah, this is going too fast, press pause on whatever it is that you're listening to, whether it's on the computer or on your phone. Under that audio player, there should be a pause button, and you may be able even to rewind it a little bit if you need to. Also, the show notes for today are going to be listed. So basically, pretty much everything that I'm speaking about today, you'll be able to find the references on the webpage at thatsinthebible.com. So let's truly begin at the beginning. Get your Bible. We're using King James, and um, because we believe that King James is the preserved and, and perfect inerrant Word of God. But let's look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Genesis, the first book in the Bible, we're going to start right at the beginning. Genesis 1, verse 1. The Bible says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, the Bible starts with this opening declaration of the existence of God and his magnificent power. 
Notice, it does not begin by defending or explaining the existence of God, but it just boldly declares it as a fact. Like a rock, it lands and sits there, unmovable. Who could deny the existence of God? You know, you can't look at the creation of God stated in verse 1 of Genesis 1, heavens and the earth, without recognizing the existence of God as the Creator. I know, some may say, but wait, God's invisible. I haven't seen God. How can I know he created the heaven and the earth? Well, the Bible says in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Again, that's Romans chapter 1, verse 20. And we're going to be in Romans for a little bit today. So keep that open. Romans chapter 1. Now, the creation is the revelation of God to man. God has shown us his creation, which signifies, right, the existence of a creator. That's why there's no explanation of God needed in Genesis 1.1. You have seen the result of a creator at work with the existence of the heavens and the earth. When you think of the diversity and complexity of all the plant and animal life on the earth, isn't it clear and obvious? Romans chapter 1 again, now verse 19, the verse right before the one we just looked at. Romans 1.19 says, Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. You know, it's intended to be obvious and evident to all. It's clearly seen. Think about it. If you've, if you've ever seen any... Of course you have. If you've seen an automobile, your first thought may be, is that a Ford or a Chevy? Now, I know I could have said a more exotic automobile, but meh, that's out of my price range. But often we will say, wow, what make a car is that? That's cool. You know, if you see a building, you may marvel at the architecture. Is that a Frank Lloyd Wright design? And as Pastor uh, Steve and Pastor Strobel know, in Buffalo, New York, there are, in fact, several Frank Lloyd Wright design buildings. But at no time do you not think that those things were not designed or created because it's evident and clearly seen that they were. You know, using your reason and power of understanding, there's no question. If you're standing with your friend looking at an automobile and says something to him like, "Um, wow, I wonder where that came from. Do you think that over millions of years that car just kind of came together like it made itself? He would look at you and think you were some kind of nut, some kind of fool. Let's look at the book of Psalms now. The book of Psalms is going to be in the middle of your Bible. And we're going to look at uh, Psalms chapter 19. Book of Psalms chapter 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. You know, in the same way that we have the evidence of God, the creator, to the physical creation of the heavens and the earth, the existence of man on the earth also evidences God, the creator. After all, like that car, we didn't make ourselves, did we? Look in Psalms chapter 100. Again, the book of Psalms, which we're in, chapter 100. We're going to look at Psalms chapter 100, verse 3. Did we make ourselves? The Bible says, Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he, it is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. 
So no, we didn't make ourselves. We didn't evolve. We didn't get here through, you know, evolution. Man didn't uh, make himself. He didn't uh, crawl out of the primordial soup, as some might believe. Now, I know, you listening today, it may be possible that you're saying to yourself, well, I'm an atheist and I don't believe in God. I deny the existence of a creator. I not only deny that there's a God, I also do not deny that any God created the heavens, the earth, or man. And you know, and so stating that belief, you would now come to the first characteristic of a fool. Because fools say, there is no God. Again, keeping in the book of Psalms, we're going to look at chapter 14. Turn to the book of Psalms, chapter 14, and in verse 1, we find it to read, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, the fool hath said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. So, God's view of fools. Number one, fools say there is no God. Notice, though, how God reveals what the real problem is here in Psalm 14, verse 1. The real problem is a heart problem, because it says the fool has said in his heart. It's not his mind or his reason saying there is no God. He is denying his reason. You know, in the beginning of the study, just a few minutes ago, we looked at Webster's definition of a fool, and remember, it included one who does not exercise his reason. And that's what's happening here. Why? Because at its heart, it's a, at its root, it's a heart problem. You can always count on the Bible to cut to the heart of the matter because that book is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And that's found in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 12. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read it to you. For the word of God, it says, is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Let's look again at the book of Romans. Let's go back to Romans chapter 1 to see the origin of this heart trouble. Romans chapter 1, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. And we're in chapter 1, and we're going to start at verse 19. And we're going to see the origin of this heart trouble. It says, Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. So you can see the progression here. They understood there was a God in the beginning, and they were without excuse. But since they knew God and decided to turn their back on God, and they imagined all kinds of other things, their heart was darkened. God calls their hearts foolish. Their foolish hearts were darkened. You know, any line of thinking that puts itself into opposition of the Bible and attempts to deny the existence of God, that's going to land you clearly into fool's territory. In verse 22 of Romans 1, we see the second hallmark of a fool identified by the Bible. They profess their wisdom over the Word of God, 
professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. So anytime the world says something in opposition to the Bible, they become fools. You can count on it. No matter how wise they proclaim themselves to be, no matter how how much formal education they have, a man in opposition to God and his word is not demonstrating true wisdom. So we've got two points now under God's view of fools. Number one, fools say there is no God. And number two, fools profess worldly wisdom over the word of God. Let's face it, this is not wisdom. This is man attempting to make himself his own God and setting up his views in opposition with with what God has stated in his Bible. So, does it happen today? And if so, how often does it happen today? Well, think about it. It happens as often as evolution is touted as being true versus God created the heaven and the earth. My friend, that's happening every day, hundreds of times a day in public schools throughout the United States. It also happens when man's wisdom proclaims men with men and women with women getting state-sanctioned, quote-unquote, marriage ceremonies. Or when women want to be called men and men want to be known as women. That's nothing less than confusion. And and this is this confusion is is the wisdom of man today on display. I know that may be hard for some of you to hear because in the today's media this is being touted as normal, being touted as something to be aspired to. But it's in contrast to what the Bible has clearly revealed about this issue. Romans chapter 1 again. We're going to look at verses 22 through 27. And the Bible says this, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up to vile infection. I'm sorry. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lusts one toward another. Men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. So we see that this wisdom of man, which attempts to contradict or correct God, is unfortunately not confined also to the secular world, but even to the religious realm. Any religious man or institution that claims to have more wisdom than God more wisdom than the Bible and attempts to correct the Bible, that man has crossed into fool territory. Now, in light of what we just read in Romans, uh, let's imagine the following. Let's imagine two baseball teams, okay? You've got two baseball teams, they've agreed to play a game together, and we're all set for the opening pitch. Now, picture this. To the surprise and shock of everyone, the first batter strolls up the plate 
He's dressed in a tennis outfit rather than a baseball uniform. Another player declares in a bold and confident voice, I have decided that I don't want to wear a baseball uniform. It's better for me that I wear this outfit. And also, I'm going to use this cricket bat. Now, a cricket bat, for those of you in the United States that aren't familiar with cricket, cricket bat is at least twice as white as a baseball bat. And he says, moreover, I expect to receive, I, I'm going to get, I'm going to be allowed to have five strikes instead of three. And um, I'm not going to run the first base. I'm going to run the third base instead of first. And I want all the fielders, they're all going to be required to close their eyes while I'm at bat. And I believe that's fair, and that's that's right for me. That's that's who I am, and that's what I want. And this is going to allow me to achieve the most happiness and success in my time here playing today. Now, expecting to receive an understanding response and compliance with his request, the baseball player is shocked when he hears the crowd and opposite team burst out in a roar of laughter and astonishment at his request. That's absurd, declares a young child in the stands. You are a fool, shouts the umpire. That is not how the game of baseball works. Another person comes up and tells him, you have no right to redefine the rules of baseball and cannot expect us to follow your distorted understanding of how things should be. Now, the player is astounded by this lack of tolerance in the crowd in the opposite team. To his surprise, everyone understood him to be a fool without any authority to make the claims he thought was so sensible and prudent for him. You know, as absurd as this sounds, we all do the same thing with God when we reject his authority, we reject his words, and we reject his moral standards. We live our lives the way we want to live them, spurning God's authority. You know, some of us, we believe that we are wiser than God and should create our own standards, and we reject God's wisdom and his word. We make up our own rules for how to get to heaven. We make up our own rules on how to live a life, a moral life. We ignore God's standards, and we ignore the solution for our tragic state. All of these things are done in spite of the fact that we live in God's world, and we are God's creation, and only God has the right to make the rules and declare how we ought to live. Now, let's look at the third trait or characteristic of a fool. How easy it is to think that, you know, we have an unlimited amount of time to accumulate wealth and possessions. You know, as I get older, I realize how fast time really goes and how that at any time, you know, I could be gone, I could die, um, or the rapture could happen, which, of course, is what I'm looking for. But... If you're a young person today listening to this podcast, you may be thinking, eh, I've got my whole life ahead of me to plan my career, and I'm going to one day get the house I want and the car I want, and I'm going to take vacations, I'm going to travel, and I'm going to buy all kinds of things, and and I'm just going to, you know, I have all the time in the world. But do you really? Let's take a look again in the New Testament. We're going to look at the book of Luke. So, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke the third gospel. And we're going to look at chapter 12 and verses 15 through 21. That's Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 15. And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, 
For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them. Now, this, of course, is Jesus, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, the rich man in our parable thought he had all the time in the world to do what he wanted, and we see that, in fact, he didn't. That night he was to die and to give an account of his soul. Was he right with God, or was he only serving self? The Bible says in Mark chapter 8, verse 36, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Now, things and luxuries we have available to us today, they're, they're not evil in and of themselves. You know, we all have a house. We, most of us have a car, have an apartment, somewhere to live, running water. Um, you know, through hard work and saving, many of us have material possessions. The question is, rather, do the possessions begin to own us rather than us owning the possessions? What positions do possessions in the world's activities have in your life? Is playing golf or watching football more important on a Sunday than going to church? You know, we just had a Super Bowl, and I wonder how many people listening to this podcast stayed at home and didn't go to church on Sunday. Is watching that movie or going to that event taking precedence over your consistent Bible reading or witnessing? Should the rapture not happen in our lifetime, then we all have an appointment with death, according to Hebrews 9.27. And none of us know when that will be. Could be today, could be tomorrow, or it could be 20 years from now. The book of James, chapter 4, verse 14 says, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. So we've looked at God's view of fools, and we've seen three things. Number one, fools say there is no God. Number two, fools profess worldly wisdom over the Word of God. And number three, fools put other things ahead of God, and they ignore the brevity of life. Now let's look at the fourth trait of the fool as identified in the Bible. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 9. Center your Bible right after the book of Psalms, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 9. The Bible says, Fools make a mock at sin, but among the righteous there is favor. You know, it's quite common and fashionable today to laugh and make fun of even the concept of sin. And it's getting harder to find a sinner when sin is mocked and every perversion today is indulged under the guise of tolerance. I mean, how many times do we hear that? Tolerance. Everything goes. We have to be tolerant. And as a result, sin is laughed at today as an antiquated label. 
I'm going to say some things here that you may consider harsh, but what I'm about to say is all true. When public lewdness is accepted and winked at as part of a parade celebrating sodomy and ungodliness, fools are truly making a mockery of sin. You know, there was a time when this sort of debauchery was confined to one day a year in a city like New Orleans, where this type of display was paraded through the street in a Mardi Gras parade. And even then, though, it was viewed as something adults only were involved in and then in the evening. But today, we have parades celebrating what the world calls gay pride parades in the streets all across America in broad daylight and lining those streets, cheering them on are families with children, making a mockery of sin. And this sort of thing doesn't stop there. Believe it or not, public libraries, and I said public libraries across America, are now participating in what is called Drag Queen Story Hour. Now, if you think I'm making that up, here's an excerpt from the Brooklyn Public Library webpage. Quote, Drag Queen Story Hour is just what it sounds like. Drag queens reading stories to children in libraries, schools, and bookstores. Drag Queen Story Hour captures the imagination and play of the gender fluidity in childhood and gives kids glamorous, positive, and unabashedly queer role models, unquote. This sort of thing would have been unthinkable 15 or 20 years ago, but today it's put forth as wonderful and tolerant. And do we wonder then why boys and girls at young ages and even the teen years, they're confused about what gender they're supposed to be? And these drag queen events are happening in large and small public libraries all across the country. And I know some of you heard, well, the Brooklyn Public Library, that's New York City. Of course, that's going to be happening there. But, you know, it's happening in libraries all across the country. And I bet if you check, it has been proposed or has happened in your library. For example, the Clearview Library District in Colorado has this information on their webpage, quote, At this special story hour, guests and drag queens will read and make crafts with children ages 2 through 8 and their parents and caregivers, unquote. You know, there was a time when parents protected their young children from these type of aberrant behaviors. The Clearview Library webpage continues, quote, The event is geared toward promoting inclusivity and diversity by allowing children to engage with individuals who dress or may express themselves outside expected gender norms in a safe place. So what does that mean? That means men dressing up like women. And it says, by allowing children to engage with individuals who dress or may express themselves outside expected gender norms in a safe place. A safe place for who, I ask? Certainly not the children. Again, here we see the world making a mockery of sin, and in cases like these, promoting it. So we've got God's view of fools. Number one, fools say there is no God. Number two, fools profess worldly wisdom over the Word of God. And number three, fools put other things ahead of God, ignoring the brevity of life. 
fools make a mockery of sin. Now, there's other mentions of fools and foolishness found in the Bible, but this time we'll see the Christian being labeled a fool according to the world's perspective. So, who does the world see as fools? Yeah, it's Christians. It would be hard to believe, though, that they would see anyone as fools in light of their anything-goes attitude under the skies of tolerance, right? But you'll find in our society today, the buzzword of tolerance does not extend to Bible-believing Christians. Holding to a position of the Bible as being the final authority for all matters of faith and practice, and trying to live your life by the Bible, will quickly earn you the world's intolerance not tolerance. There is no tolerance for believing that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man gets to heaven but through him. The world is, in fact, intolerant of that viewpoint. And I bet there's some that if they have the opportunity to listen to this podcast, they would find it uh, reprehensible and intolerant, and you know we shouldn't be allowed to speak this way. The unsaved world sees the message of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ as, well, that's an unlearned, narrow-minded, bigoted, and foolish way to think and to talk. But 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 says, quote, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God, unquote. So they view the preaching of the cross foolishness. Anyone that's spent any time witnessing, or if you've been in public street ministry, you've encountered this attitude, and you've encountered it a lot. But one thing to remember is that God takes pleasure in the preaching of the cross. 1 Corinthians one twenty one, a few verses later, says, For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe, unquote. So in the world's eyes, we are labeled as fools for Christ, but it pleases God in his wisdom that the so-called world's wisdom views us as fools. And, you know, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4.10, we are fools for Christ's sake. So we can expect the world to view us fools for Christ's sake and not to like us. I mean, you shouldn't be shocked when that happens. You know, there are Christians being persecuted around the world today for being Christians, just as there was persecution in the first century church. Today, here in America, we, we still have the freedom to pass out tracts and proclaim the gospel. But how much longer that will last, I don't know. I mean, it's possible to envision a day not too far off in the future where believing that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, and unless you repent and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, and trust in him alone and not your goodness or good works, that, you know, you could spend an eternity in a lake of fire burning forever if you don't receive him. And that's going to be viewed as hate speech. And I bet in the minds of many Americans, that already is viewed as hate speech. So as a result, they will hate you for being a Bible-believing Christian. Our Lord himself said in the book of John, chapter 15, verse 18 through 21, If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. 
Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. You know, as this world gets further and further away from God in the Bible, we can expect its thinking to be more outrageous and more at odds with the Bible. As our own country continues to promote and legitimize sin, we can expect to be viewed more and more as fools in their eyes. You know, the world is going to continue more and more to call good evil and to call evil good. And that's stated in Isaiah 5, verse 20. That's Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. The Bible says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. So let's not think it's strange that the world views us as fools for Christ, that they think we're fanatics, that think we're narrow-minded or bigoted. I mean, it, it frankly goes with the territory. But and let's not be fearful to speak up for the Lord, to be counted as a fool by the world. Let's side with God and be a fool for Christ's sake. For after all, isn't it better to be thought a fool by the world than to try and blend in and pretend to be one with the world? You know, we need to be witnesses. We need to tell them about the gospel of Jesus Christ, that um, if they're involved in sin, um, and obviously... We're all sinners, for all of sin that comes short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. But they need to know that there's a way out. There's a way out from being a fool, as, as the Bible talks about, that they can accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. So you need to choose what kind of fool you will be. You're going to be the world's fool, or are you going to be counted as a fool for Christ by the world? As Joshua said in Joshua twenty four fifteen, again Joshua chapter twenty four fifteen, he said, "Choose you this day whom you will serve." You know the entire verse reads, "And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord." So we all have a choice to make. Do you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior? And then in so doing, you can expect that as you live as a Christian and you let your light shine, that uh, the world's not going to be happy about it. But remember God's view of fools. Number one, fools, according to the Bible, fools say there is no God. Fools are the ones that profess worldly wisdom over the Word of God. Number two, Number three, fools put other things ahead of God, ignoring the brevity of life. And number four, fools make a mockery of sin. And the biggest mistake you could make is to not accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. You know, by simply asking him to come uh, to save you, to repent of your sins, to realize that, you know what, I'm not going to make to, to get to heaven through my own good works, that um, there isn't, you know, there is no good works that I could do to, to merit heaven. And by just simply receiving Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, asking him the best way you know how to save you, he will. 
And then as a Christian, to live as a Christian, to do the best that we can, knowing again that we're still not perfect. We're saved, but we're not perfect. And we are going to be running up against those folks in the world that would look at us and think uh, all kinds of things, but often they are going to look at us as fools and what we say to be foolishness. Expect it, but we have a choice to make. So my admonition to you is choose this day whom you will serve. Whose fool will you be? Thank you, guys. Thank you, Eric. Uh, very good study. Uh, as I would say, very Amen. straightforward. Very straightforward. Guys, any comments? Yeah, it's a uh, great, great study. And um, just uh, there's, there was a turning point in my Christian life, especially, um, where... Uh, some of you might know that uh, I used to street preach a lot when I was living in New York. Uh, out here in the village, it's a little bit more difficult to street preach here. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, out in New York, we'd we'd be preaching at the uh, Syracuse University games, the football games, and and basketball games, and things. And I can't tell you how many Saturdays and Friday nights, you know, I'd I'd hurry, get out of work, be exhausted, and. Uh, Deep down, you know, my flesh is telling me, why are you doing this? Why, why are you making a fool out of yourself and, you know, putting yourself through all this? You could just be a Christian that just kind of goes through, you know, I mean, you know, you're saved, you're going to heaven. Why don't you just kind of assimilate with everybody else and not make a big, you know, splash in the water? And, and, uh, and many times, um, that I would go, this, this probably happened for maybe, maybe, maybe two months of street preaching, um, being out there and just, you know, hundreds and thousands of people walking by me <clears throat> and they would stop at the red light and uh, we'd be preaching to them at the red light before they could cross the street. And I think the thing that affected me the most was when kids my age, you know, that was back when I was you know, a youngster in the twenties, uh, uh, early thirties, you know, or whatever. But, but, but that point when it was really affecting me was, uh, kind of the middle twenties, late twenties. Um, uh, actually it was late twenties. Um, people, my age would, would look at me like I'm nuts. Like I'm crazy. <laughs> they would look at me like I'm disgusting. Like I've got, you know, uh, I don't know, like uh, cow manure all over me, or something, you know, and, and, uh, and, and, you know, what my flesh would keep telling me, my flesh would keep saying, you're such a fool. Why, why are you doing this? This is so foolish. You're preaching the Bible to these people. They don't want to hear it. They just want to go to a game, you know, let them, you know, but then the Holy Spirit in my spirit was saying, yeah, but you, so what, you're just going to be shut up and you're just going to let them go to hell. You know, you're just, you're just gonna, you're just gonna be a closet Christian and, and not make a fool of yourself for the Lord. And, uh, and, and from that moment there, there was a turning point. I can't remember the exact uh, street preaching day it was, but there was a moment there, just like just like uh, my dad said, uh, I had to make a decision. Okay, am I going to be a fool for the world and, and live like the world and just even though I'm going to heaven, just live live for the world, or am I going to uh, be a fool for Jesus Christ and and uh, and the whole world's going to think I'm a fool? But boy, the Lord will be pleased. And uh, and I think every Christian probably will go through that point at least once in their life where it's got to be settled in your heart. Okay, this is it. I'm going to, I don't care what anybody says or however they look at me. Uh, I only care about 
you know, pleasing the Lord. And, and that, that mm-hmm. comes to a point where it just, you have to put down your flesh. And I'll just give you one passage here that uh, I think really explained it to me really well. And, and the Lord kind of showed it to me is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and uh, verse 12 says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak not in words, in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And then verse 14, but the natural man, that, that's the man that's just, uh, he's not saved, of course, he's not born again. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And the Lord just said, listen, this is foolish to them. You know, just like the preaching is foolish, all that is is foolish, but boy, we need to do it. And uh, so, great study. And, and I think every Christian has to go to that point sometime in their life and just say, okay, I'm going to serve the Lord and not the world. So, amen. Amen. Many, many good points in there and um, weighed out well, like whose fool are you? Because cause we are, we're going to be at one side or the other. Amen. A lot of people want to be lukewarm in the middle, holding hands with both sides. But um, they say he, the guy that tries to straddle the fence usually falls off on the wrong side. <laughs> and <laughs> yep. and re- in regard to the subject of a fool, what a prominent subject that is in the scriptures. Amen. And there's like, I believe, over 80 references to fool or different forms of the word in the book of Proverbs itself. Mm. And one of the things that it says is the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. Mm. The he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. And we are in a generation where people really, everybody looks at themselves almost as gods. You know, the devil um, says, you know, you shall be as gods, right? And... um and that's how the thing was was looked at. In Genesis 3, you know, the devil said in the day they ate of it, they'd be as gods, knowing good and evil. And that's what people are like today. They're, they're like their own gods. They're all deciding what's right and what's wrong. <clears throat> but God's given us the standard, as Brother Eric had said, and that is the Word of God. Other than that, everybody's got their own opinion. <clears throat> but mm-hmm. um, your own opinion doesn't matter as far as truth is concerned if it goes against the Word of God, as Jesus said as he prayed to the father, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So though it be right in your own eyes, and though you can justify yourself and in, in anything that you want to do, you ought to be more concerned with what is truth. And here's people today talk a lot about, you know, just follow your heart, you know, just what is your heart telling you? And, and they completely miss the fact that the Bible tells us in Proverbs twenty eight twenty six, he that trusteth in his own heart, is a fool, Amen. but whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. And Jeremiah told us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. So the wise thing to do is those famous verses in Proverbs three, five, and six is trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean on to thine own understanding and all that ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. God will, God will give you the direction. If your heart and Derek hit on this early, it's a really a heart matter. You know, the fool has said in his heart, there's no God. Your heart has to be willing to do what the Lord wants you to do. And a lot of folks, it's just not. They want to do what they want to do. It doesn't matter um, who wants to do it or, or who else says it's right, who else says it's wrong. It's just a matter of some people say today, they say the heart wants what the heart wants. But you know what? That doesn't make it right. There's some, some people that have some pretty wicked things that the heart wants. 
that um, is is wrong and it's harmful to others. So I'll close with this, uh, 1 Corinthians 3.18 and 19. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. In other words, you got to take all the wisdom you think you got and just say, all right, Lord, I think I'm smart, but I'm just throwing it all at your feet. You help me to be wise. Here's what I think. I don't know. Maybe I'm right. Maybe I'm wrong, but I want to know what's true in, in your sight. And he goes on to say, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. So if you want to be wise, bring your wisdom to God or what you think you know and say, Lord, you show me truth. You help me to know what's right and what's wrong. Amen. Amen. Uh, just playing off of that a little bit, uh, there's a verse that came to mind when you were doing the thing about uh, the fools and so forth and, and doing your study. Uh, when you, I don't know, I'm going to see if I can try to, to articulate this in the right way. Um, for years, we've gone down to uh, City Mission and, and uh, dealt with uh, men uh, about their condition. Uh, obviously, uh, they've done some things that have put them in a bad place. Uh, they're homeless, they're jobless, uh, they're parolees, they've been in jail, uh, they're spiritually bankrupt, and they're, and they're there in a, in a Christian place, uh, obviously see, receiving benefits, you know, having food, having a place to stay. Years ago, it used to be that you'd be able to have conversation with some of these fellows and, and, and even feel like you were, were having some headway with them and, and trying to show them what God had brought you through and, and how God had, had ministered to you and, and had some answers for them. But as the years progressed, it seemed as though that even though they were in the condition that they were in, they had all the answers and you were just a fool for being there and, and why are you here and, and so forth and so on. And the verse that came to mind with that was uh, is in Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 8 says, The wise in heart will receive commandments, but a pratting fool shall fall. And a pratting, somebody is just incessantly talking and just, uh, you know, just saying a lot of nonsense and so forth. And a pratting fool is one that, that has all the answers when they don't have any answers. They don't even know the questions. And, uh, you know, it's just incredible to me that, that uh, you know, here we are, we're, we've got the answers, we've got the book, uh, you know, we can show them some things that'll help them uh, get some stability in their life, help them get through some of the struggles that they're going through, uh, give them a place that they can go, and uh, they, just, they just won't take it. They won't, uh, they won't receive it. And the Bible says that they are a fool. Uh, you know, that sounds insensitive. Uh, I know, Eric, in, in some of the things that you said in that Bible study, if, if there's some people here listening to this thing will think that that's insensitive. But when you declare the truth, as Pastor Strobel talked about, uh, and you give somebody the truth, sometimes, as the saying goes, the truth hurts. And sometimes they have to face that truth before they can ever come to reality and uh, make changes in their life that are going to be a benefit to them and to help them. And obviously, in the eternal sense, uh, find the answers so that they can 
uh, live with uh, with with the Lord forever and and be saved. Uh, it's just an amazing thing how people that haven't even read the Bible seem to think that they know the Bible and know <laughs> know what all the answers are, and uh, to that they would be a fool. Uh, you know the 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 philosophy that people have today in in changing everything that's right calling good evil and evil good, calling right wrong and calling wrong right, uh, is, is just so pervasive today. And, and obviously, we're the ones that are wrong when, in actuality, you know, we are the ones that are right because we're, we're trying to follow the Word of God. Just, if I might, just add a little bit more absurdity to some of the things that you were mentioning uh, as far as uh, you know, what's out there and fools that are out there. I came across this. Let me just read a little bit of this article here. It's not long, just a couple paragraphs. But it says, a man in India is planning to sue his parents for giving birth to him without his consent, claiming that choosing to have children and putting them through the rigmarole of life is unethical. Ralph Samuel a 27-year-old man from Mumbai is apparently part of an anti-natalist group which advocates against childbearing on the premise that it intentionally forces a human being into the world without first obtaining said human's consent. And that it also puts a strain on, here we go, on the environment and the planet's resources. He goes on to give this testimony. He says, I love my parents, and we have a great relationship, but they have had me for their joy and their pleasure. Uh, my life has been amazing, but I do not see why I should uh, uh, put another life through the rigmarole of school, finding a career, uh, especially when they didn't ask to exist. The anti-natalist movement is gaining traction in India as young people resist social pressures to have children. A Facebook page run by Samuel is advocating against childbirth is uh, uh, chock full of responses by their anti-natalist who uh, say forcing a child to go through life, get an education, find a job is all the fault of selfish Parents who had the child for their own pleasure. Others argue that it's immoral to birth a child into a world which he or she faces difficulty, problems, or sufferings, even going so far as to compare having a child with kidnapping and slavery. You know what I say to that? <laughs> As a fool. <laughs> okay. I, I read an article uh, about that uh, recently as well. It, it is just somebody said all the nuts aren't in the nut house. And oh, I, man. But you know. Um, but you're crazy nuts. What, <laughs> <laughs> he being dead yet speaketh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> one of the things that went on in the article to say was, you know, as you as you read that he was complaining because they didn't, they had him without his consent. His right. parents are actually both lawyers and his mother was commenting on it, says, well, said, you know, she's, if he wants to do this, that's fine. It's okay. But if he can 
prove in the courts a way that I could have gotten his sent before he <laughs> sent before he was born. Yeah. Know, I'm willing to give in on the suit. Wow. You know, Eric, you were talking about, you know, homosexuality and transgenderism mm-hmm. and so forth. And we're going through a lot of it now, you know, this gender identity and, and, uh, you know, not putting uh, the sex on the birth certificate so that they could choose it later. <laughs> and states are actually putting that into practice for their hospitals within their state. And they're totally ignoring biology. I think, I think Matt brought to my attention someone, I forgot who it was now, Matt, that they said they're going to bring their daughter up gender neutral. Oh, uh, I think it's uh, the actress Kate Hudson. Yes. And I, I'm thinking... Okay, well, what's next? Next, we're going to be species neutral. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. I want to be an elephant or I want to be a, you know, a rhinoceros or, and you have to treat Well, me. she even admitted in her statement, I'm going to bring up my daughter gender <laughs> neutral. It's like, uh, hello. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? I'm one of the four guys on this program, but. We've all been on both sides of this equation as far as fools go. We've all been fools, you know, as viewed by God, and then we've all been view- fools as viewed by the world. And coming from the other side now, I can speak to say that, yeah, back then, I sometimes did look at Christians as like, no, oh, these Bible thumpers. But being on the other side... You have a whole, I mean, it's like the scales have fallen off your eyes. And, um, you know, I think the Holy Spirit is responsible for that, getting saved. You're able to see, you know, truth, whereas before you were just one of the, one in the crowd, herded along, and everyone thinks they're so individual, but they're really just following the same program, you know. The, yeah. And it's, it's, it's so unfortunate that it just seems like as each thing i hear it just gets crazier and crazier yeah mm-hmm. you know what it really boils down to it boils down to people wanting to do what they want to do without any guilt being associated or or extended to them by someone saying what they're doing is wrong in other words they want to be able to have the kind of lifestyle they want without anybody telling them that they're wrong yeah so that their conscience is free because it's already dead it's seared with a hot iron mm-hmm in order to be able to do these practices and they just want the freedom to be able to do it without any encumbrance from, from anybody that's religious or, or God, you know, that would uh, say what they're doing is wrong. All right. Anything else? Anybody have anything else to say? As Eric would say, anybody else have anything to say for the good of the cause? (laughs) Stevie did a great job. Oh, had a good teacher. Amen. Did a great job. Thanks for, thanks for, uh, it's kind of nice to be able to sit back and, uh, you know, just be part. (laughs) Well, you can have your job back. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks again. All right, well, Lord willing, we'll see everybody next time. Amen.
Troubles will soon be o'er. Happy forevermore. When we meet on that shore, free from all care. Rising up in the sky, telling this world goodbye. Homeward we then will fly. Glory to share. Shall rise, righteous be in the skies, going where, going where no one dies, heavenward bound. Jesus is coming soon, morning or night or noon. Many will, many will meet their doom. Trumpets will sound, will surely sound. All of the dead shall rise, righteous be in the skies. This has been a production of the That's in the Bible podcast. To leave a comment or to ask a question, visit our website at thatsinthebible.com or email us at thatsinthebible at gmail.com or call our listener feedback voicemail at 716-584-1611. Again, that's 716-584-1611. As always, thanks for listening and press on. You're just talking. You read that in the newspaper someplace. But you're crazy nuts. Watch your language, bud. We're on the air. Blow it out your nose, buddy.